Well, would you please open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew and maybe the last page in the Gospel in your written copy of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28. Matthew 28, the text this morning is found in Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. The title of the message today is Jesus, the Resurrector. And if you have a bulletin this morning, on the back side of your bulletin are some truths there's, there's extra space there to write things that the Spirit of God teaches you this morning. Please uh, feel free to follow along with that helpful outline this morning. But join with me as we read together in Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see Him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell His disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of His feet and worshipped Him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Thus says the word of God. May God bless the reading of his word among his people. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, with eyes of faith, we look into the word this morning like we would look into the empty tomb. And we will see Jesus today when we come into the Word. And Father, we pray that you would teach us all things of Him that you would want us to know today. Bring our hearts back under this surety and hope that we have that's found in the empty tomb. The risen Lord. Father, may He just be pleased as we speak of Him this morning. May the Spirit of God Awaken our hearts to the realities and the joys and even the fear of knowing the tomb is empty. Father, awaken and quicken your people to receive the precious holy word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Early church, in the early church, signs and wonders of the apostles You remember that when Matthew is writing this gospel, that this is during the early church times. This is not like a week later from the empty tomb episode. The early church is happening. Apostles are are healing and are preaching and dead are being raised and many signs and wonders are taking place. And the disciples, like Matthew and others, the apostles, are still preaching the resurrection. And Matthew's purpose is to preach to the early church and specifically to the Jews who had become Christians, to the Jewish audience, that Jesus was the promised Messiah. From the genealogy uh, in the first chapter to the resurrection in the last chapter. 
But here as he begins this last part of his gospel writing, he signals us to five critical events, five miraculous events, five outstanding uh, moments that take place right off the bat. First of all, earthquake. This, by the way, is the second time that we've seen the earthquake in three days. You remember that Matthew has told us as he closed out the last chapter that when Jesus uh, yielded up his spirit, that there was a great earthquake. Now, too, on the the day in which he is, is resurrected, there is a great earthquake. Secondly, we see something that we ought not just dismiss because we are talking about Christianity and religion and, of course, we're in the Bible. This is significant. The angel of the Lord, in verse number 2, descends from heaven. So we, we, we see this great earthquake and we see this great messenger, uh, a spectacular sight, by the way. Uh, his, his clothes, his appearance like lightning. The angel appears. Significant moment. Thirdly, the stone is rolled away. This wasn't meant to happen. This wasn't uh, supposed to happen, right? It was sealed. It was sealed by by Pilate's seal. It was it was guarded by soldiers, loyal soldiers, and threatened. And religious leaders were doing everything they could to make sure that stone never rolled away. We hear about the angels' display, about the, the splendor about him. So not only do we know that he has been sent from heaven, but his, even his appearance is striking to uh, to the women here, and maybe to the guards. And this is a spectacular display. And then the fifth event that Matthew wants us to see is that these guards are full of fear. So we have the earthquake, we have the appearance of a God-sent angel, we have the stone being rolled away, we have the angel's uh, appearance and his display of power and of glory of God, and we have fearful guards, all just in ten verses. Matthew doesn't seem to use a lot of words to tell us about all those, but he is just going moment by moment, just just meant to be a shocking appeal to you, a shocking testimony. And by the way, the people in the early church were used to hearing about signs and wonders. And so he records these, and he knows that he's not the only gospel writer. But this is his, his desire, is to bring about to them this reminder that, that the resurrection was accompanied with these amazing moments of which they have heard a lot about. So this morning we're going to be looking at this passage in two sections. And the first section is that, that there are messengers of the empty tomb. And the second section will be the message of the empty tomb. The messengers of the empty tomb. From heaven's throne room to Pilate's throne room, to the upper room, to the stone tomb. Each of the messengers of the resurrection tell the same story. He is risen, just as he said. So let's look at the different characters, the different people, if you will, who are telling the same story. Angels and soldiers, religious leaders and loyal women, and even Jesus himself, they are all, they all become messengers of the empty tomb. And the story of the empty tomb is a story. It's the greatest story ever told. It's an event, but Matthew has been faithful to tell us of the resurrection in story form. And if you don't know the main character, 
If you don't see the rise and fall of action, if you don't see the climax and the resolution, then the resurrection story doesn't mean much. And may this morning in the hearing of your ears, the resurrection story may not mean much to you. The first person that we see, well, first what we're going to be speaking of is the angel. Notice that his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow in verse number three. His clothing white as snow. He was the representative, the representation of our holy God and his resplendent majesty. This angel appears to signify a purity and a fullness of divine power, of heavenly power. His appearance is striking. But not only is his appearance breathtaking and meant to really bring shock and awe to those who are, who are witnessing his appearance, but notice his posture is unusual. This is not how we normally see postures, the posture of angels. We're reminded that in Luke, we, the shepherds are out in the field and the angels seem to be hovering about. We see angels appear standing in the room with Mary and later on with Joseph and warning him in a dream. Often, even in the book of Revelation, we see angels standing with great power and force. Uh, often in the book of Revelation, demonstrating moments of judgment, of, of divine decree. But what is the posture of this angel? The posture of this angel seems to be that he is sitting on the tomb, on the rolled away stone. In verse number two, he rolled back the stone and sat on it. So this angel descends from heaven and he comes and he rolls back the stone and he sits on it. He descends, he, he comes, he rolls back and he sits. And he's sitting on the stone. Listen, who sits? In a cemetery. The seal was broken. The guards were trembling. The stone was moved out of the way. And here we find the angel sitting on the rolled away stone. Can you imagine what that must have looked like? And Matthew is telling us that this angel of the Lord came empowered from God on high. And he was assigned with a special task of opening the tomb and being faithful to proclaim the triumph of our Lord over the grave and over the death, over death and over the evil forces of the universe. And he is sitting on the stone. What does his posture tell you about? His posture may tell us about a finality. His posture might signal to us rest. His posture might even tell us about the surety of what has taken place. And all of this, his certainly is. Jesus' redemption is finished and so the angel could rest on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Sitting on the rolled away st stone is the same posture for you and I as followers of the risen Lord. We sit on that stone too. That rolled away stone is the symbol of our confidence that we have a sure hope in the one who triumphed over the grave and said, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? It's like the angel is taunting the tomb. Now, every other tomb in that cemetery had a stone in its place, didn't it? Well, except for the resurrected saints, of course, right? 
But really, every other tomb in that cemetery had a stone still in its place, sealing the dead. And here, and there, the angel sits on the tomb, and in his relaxed posture, in his posture of power, his appearance on a rolled away stone sits in contrast to every other tomb of man from Adam to Jesus. Every other tomb still has a stone. From Adam to Jesus. But this tomb is different. The stone is rolled away. And who sits on the tomb? As I said. Who sits on a tomb? Likely, likely you have been in a cemetery. And grieved and expressed your honor. And your, your, your grief and sorrow. And your respects to the loved ones that are there in the cemetery. But likely you have not sat in a cemetery. But how about sitting in a cemetery and being full of joy when you're sitting in a cemetery? This is what Matthew is telling us happens. When Jesus raises from the grave, then people can go to a cemetery and they can sit full of joy can't they? You don't find joy in a cemetery unless the stone is rolled away. You don't find joy in a cemetery unless there's a stone that's rolled away. Now listen to the proclamation then that the angel gives. There are ten things the angel says for between verses 5 through 7. So follow along with me. Do not be afraid. Number one. Number two. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Number three. He is not here. Number four. Why? He has risen. Number five. Not to be overlooked like a mumbling commentary. Just as he said he would be risen. Six. Come. Seven. See. See the place where he once laid. Eight. Then go quickly and tell. Nine. He is going before you to Galilee. You will see him there. Ten. See. I have told you. Now that's quite a sermon. That's a lot of information. And so it's no wonder that Mary and Mary are struggling with the competing feelings, or we might even say the complementary feelings of a follower of Christ, of fear and joy. That is a lot to digest. The second person that we see, the second people that we see, are soldiers. And the soldiers have been there through the night watch, and now they have seen the angel roll away the, the stone. They have re- recognized there's no body in the tomb, and they know that they're not responsible for the loss of such a great item. But the soldiers were assigned here. They were assigned by the religious leaders, assigned by Pilate. They were assigned here, but we know that they were assigned ultimately by a sovereign God who we were reminded, 
God is sovereign over His Son's suffering. He's sovereign over His burial too, just like He's sovereign over His resurrection. And so here the soldiers are subject to the sovereignty of God. They have been assigned not merely by Pilate and not merely by the religious leaders, but they've been assigned by God to be special witnesses of this most glorious moment in universe history. They have been assigned by God to be witnesses. Now, what they do with the information is going to be very different, of course, than what the angel desires and, and what, the, what the followers of Christ will do, at least in this moment. It does not appear that the guards are driven to worship the risen Christ. We find out, actually, in verse number 11, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. So they, yes, run! There's no time for worship. There doesn't seem to be any transformational moment. But the fact is that God assigned these unbelieving guards to be the witnesses of the moment the gospel is completed. You know, God puts Gentiles, God puts unbelievers on the front row of His mighty works because whether or not they acknowledge His saving power, they will ultimately fall at His feet and worship Him as the sovereign God who reigns over all eternity in a coming day. The fact is that many times God's people are the second to witness the mighty acts of God because sometimes they simply don't show up to see them. Often God's people are the last to see or the second to see um, the mighty acts of God because they have been unfaithful, unbelieving. What do we find here? They're ought to have been all the disciples coming to see the empty tomb. For he had said, you break down this temple, I will raise it up in three days. I will come to Jerusalem and I will be delivered over to the leaders to be crucified and I will rise again the third day. And the disciples heard this over and over. And Matthew has has shared this prophecy at least three times in his book. The disciples should have been there, but who is there to witness this great act? Unbelieving guards and unbelieving disciples because Mary and Mary are there to do what? To anoint the body. You see, God is working today through the empty tomb in the body of Christ the church. His body no longer here, but we are His body now. He is doing great and mighty acts today, making dead people alive by His resurrection power. The sad reality is that very few are there to witness it because they remain away, departed, unbelieving, instead of worshiping the risen Lord. And listen, those who miss out on witnessing and being a part of God's mighty acts are still objects of His grace and mercy in no less way. Even though the disciples weren't there, and even Mary and Mary went with the wrong intentions, wrong belief system, God still showed His grace and mercy upon them. The fact is that like the guards were assigned to be witnesses, although skeptical, cynical, and unbelieving, like, the, like God assigned them to be witnesses, 
God assigns us, his followers, to be where he is working. God assigns us to be where he is working. And where does he work? Through his body, the church. Where does he glory to do his work? He glories to do his work through the body, the fellowship of the followers. You see, the soldiers didn't know what to do with an empty tomb. But we do. And we have a great commission that's coming down further in this passage from a great Savior. We know exactly what to do about an empty tomb. And the angel, to make it clearer, tells the ladies what to do about the empty tomb. And to reinforce it then, even Jesus tells them what to do with the empty tomb. And soon he will be telling the disciples to tell the whole world what to do with an empty tomb. We have been assigned the task of telling people about an empty tomb. The soldiers didn't have a theology that was able to fit their need for a Savior in that moment. They couldn't comprehend all of what God was doing. And so their only response was just paralyzing fear. They were like dead men, Matthew says. And the fact is they really were dead men. And isn't that a contrast, by the way? We find dead men in a cemetery. Isn't that where they belong? Matthew says that, says they were like dead men. He plays on words there. Dead men in a cemetery, that's where they belong. But that's not where they ought to stay. God joys in making dead men live. So go. Leave the empty tomb. And tell of life. The cemetery no longer is the place of worship. He is risen. Jesus was alive and these soldiers were like dead men. That's the contrast Matthew's saying. Jesus is alive and the soldiers were like dead men. What a contrast. They were dead as they were overwhelmed emotionally and spiritually with such an unexplainable miracle. And I, I, feel, I feel like I would probably have been the same way as them too. But they were dead in their unbelief because they did not have room to believe that there would need to be a sacrifice for their sin that would be acceptable to God to cover their guilt. You see, these soldiers are like so many who are Gentiles, so many who are unbelieving. They're assigned to front row seats, but they need someone to tell them the meaning of it all. You see, there was nobody who was going to tell them the meaning of it all. They needed someone to tell them, to, to help them understand, what did you just encounter? And that is where we come into play. Go and quickly. Make disciples. So they responded, the soldiers responded to their authorities instead of kneeling before God, maybe before the angel in one sense. But no one invited them to kneel. No one invited them to believe. And now we have the women. So we have the angel, we have the soldiers as witnesses, and we have the women. And the women we find, they are unbelieving, they are doubtful, questioning. Verse number one. They went to see the tomb. Not they went to see Jesus, 
but they went to see the tomb. They were faithful, but they were not remembering. They were busy doing good things to honor the Lord. Here we, we can't take anything away from their love for Jesus Christ, their desire to honor him. They put their minds to the task, they put their bodies to work, they rose up early on that first day and they went to the tomb and they were busy honoring the Lord. They were faithful and loyal. They had been there um, two nights before when he was buried. But they were not remembering the promises of God. And what a difference there is between being faithful and remembering. Not that they stand in contrast to one another, but there is a difference between the two And the difference is really between life and death, isn't it? In this passage here, we find the very difference between faithful and being faithful to remember is the difference between a tomb that's sealed and a tomb that's empty. The fact is that it's entirely possible and probable, sorry, and probably more common than we know of or will admit about ourselves that we too are often doing we're busy doing good things but are not driven by truth or the promises of God or a desire to be in God's presence, His living presence, to do them. We want to serve God, but maybe we refuse to let Him serve us. We want to do something for God, but we fail to acknowledge what He has done for us. We too easily allow the hearing of truth to take take the place of applying the truth. They had heard over and over, these women were on the front row seats of Jesus' teaching. They followed him around all over the place, ministering to him, loyal and faithful, the only ones in this last day, showing their, the greatest loyalty. But the breakdown in their worship and the breakdown in their faithfulness was not that they didn't know the truth, is that they weren't applying the truth. Friends, I feel like this is where I sit so often myself as well. Where I know much, I have been given much knowledge, much revelation. But the applying part, it's like going to the tomb and expecting the stone to still be there. I feel like this is a lot of us this morning. These women had heard, like the rest, from Jesus' own lips that he would rise from the grave, yet they had no room for resurrection on Sunday morning. One wonders, where was the hope of their faith if they believed that Jesus was still in tomb, a victim of death? We wonder that about ourselves. Why are we so downcast? Why are we so discouraged? Why are we so faithless when we have a risen Lord? is because we're really good forgetters. We're better forgetters than we are faithful. We're not faithful. We're forgetters. The fourth messenger of the empty tomb is our risen Lord, Jesus himself. Now, other gospel writers fill in this picture And you might feel like there's some missing facts and you wonder, why did Matthew not include these things? Listen, this, by the way, 
is some of what we call the, the doctrine of our of our Bibles in the fact that all of the gospel writers complement, they fill in the facts. As different witnesses viewing things and hearing things from different angles, they give different details. None of them contradict, they just fill in with one another. But Jesus, notice um, verse number 8, they are faithful, these ladies are faithful to run away from the tomb. They have been instructed by God's divine messenger to run and they are filled with fear and great joy and they ran to go tell the disciples. And Jesus met them and said greetings. You see, Jesus interrupted the women's response. He greeted them. He greeted them. And he gave them specific instructions then. He tells them, do not be afraid. Go and tell. And what's the word that he uses there? Those scoundrels? Those betrayers? Oh, my, my brother, sister in Christ, this is, this is Jesus saying of us who are just as unfaithful as these disciples, go and tell my brothers. You know, the ones that didn't co- even come to the tomb like you ladies did. Go and tell my brothers. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And he received their worship. They took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then he said to them, Do not be afraid. Jesus, the fourth messenger of the empty tomb. So the message of the empty tomb... Well, the message of the empty tomb, Matthew doesn't spend a lot of time telling us. He doesn't lay out now a gospel tract. He doesn't give us a, a you know, Romans road. He doesn't give us you know, a gospel explanation here. He's written it in 27 chapters. So go and tell the gospel of Christ. So he speaks, first of all, in this, the message of the empty tomb is that the stone was rolled away not to let Jesus out, but to let disciples in. And Matthew writes this. And by the way, this quotation has been said by many a preacher. I don't know who first said it, but the stone was rolled away not to let Jesus out, but to let disciples in. And Matthew tells us that the angel rolled away the stone and invites the ladies to come and see that it's empty. He didn't roll it away so that Jesus could get out. What a humorous picture that is. The thing that Jesus would have been knocking on the other side of the stone waiting for this angel to finally come and roll away the stone so that he, with all the power to come alive, could finally come out of this stone that he created and ascend unto heaven to rule and reign in sovereign power. The stone was rolled away to show that the tomb was already empty. But to show who that it's empty. The disciples. To let them in. And the angel said, come and see the place where he laid. Friends, the reason why we have this recorded word for us here today is because we, like the disciples, need to see the empty tomb and we need to keep coming back to it. Because remember... We're not very good rememberers. 
We are, we are good forgetters. And so the stone is rolled away so we could keep coming back. We see the testimony of it being rolled away so we could keep coming back to God's faithful word to remind us who are unfaithful to remember his promises, who are very forgetful to remember the power that must have been on display, that must have rolled away this stone and made Jesus alive. The significance, the significance of this moment is that it had been predicted and it was performed exactly as Matthew had recorded Jesus saying. And the significance Matthew is showing us is at the core of the Christian gospel. The person of this resurrection is very significant to us. This is not just a resurrection, although that would be spectacular. And we spoke of this last week. It would be an amazing gift of God to see our loved ones raise and to be with us again. But this isn't just any old resurrection. This is the resurrection. This is the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Others had been resurrected in Scripture, including the saints that we had seen in uh, Matthew alluding to at the end of chapter 27, many saints. But this is the resurrection. And as Jesus approaches these women, as he interrupts their journey, like he's interrupting our journey here this morning, Jesus brings words of comfort and he brings words of guidance. What do we do with this resurrection? What do we do with this spectacular event? He comes to them with comfort and guidance because he knows, listen, that what they're about ready to tell the disciples is an impossible message to believe. Now, don't let the familiarity of the passage just rob itself of every part of gut check of this situation. These women have the task to go and tell Peter and John and Thomas and others that Jesus was risen from the grave. They have to convince them. How are you going to convince someone that you just visited a tomb that's empty? And so first of all, Jesus comforts them because they're already thinking, how am I going to tell the disciples that his body is not there and that I saw him and I held on to his ankles and I wept over his risen body? How am I going to accomplish that? Listen, brother, sister, how are you going to accomplish sharing the gospel with the Gentiles? You and I have the same fear. We have an incredible message about an impossible event, about a wonderful Savior, and we too have to work through our fear like they did. And Jesus comes to you and I, and He says, do not be afraid. And He gives them word of comfort. And then He tells them, He gives them guidance. First comfort, and God gives you and I comfort. Go and tell the world about an empty tomb and a risen Lord. And the guidance is, just tell them. Just tell them. I think sometimes we get in our own head and in our own hearts and we're, we're very humble Christians and we think we've got to figure out a way to phrase the gospel conversation in a way that's going to be a real hook. And unless we've figured out the perfect conversation, then we aren't going to share about the empty tomb. 
But Jesus just says, I know. It's going to be hard to tell people about an empty tomb and a risen Lord. Tell them. That's all I want you to do. I'll do the work in the heart. But you've got to be the boots on the ground. Just go and tell them. Go and tell Peter. And what do Peter and John do according to John 21? Well, they need to see it for themselves. And that's okay. God still saves them too. So just tell. So the, the ladies were obedient to tell, weren't they? They didn't form like a little club called the Sisterhood of the Empty Tomb, a private, you know, personal access only club, cult, Sisters of the Empty Tomb. No, they did as Jesus said. And they just told the disciples, and then Jesus came to the disciples and said, Just tell everybody. And when I say everybody, I mean like tell the world. When I say the world, I mean go to like to all the nations of the world. And just tell them. Tell them what I taught you. But the word of comfort that he will end this chapter with, that Jesus will end this chapter with, is I am with you. You see, if Jesus isn't risen, then he's not with you. But if it's his story to tell, he says, don't worry, you're, you're not going to go alone. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And so Jesus gives these women and he gives us and his disciples the words of comfort and guidance. He knows it'll be a huge task to take this news of an empty tomb to the disciples, not even to the Gentiles, but to the disciples. It'll be a huge task to convince them of the truth. Just tell them. And these women go. They go full of fear and full of joy, they go. And do you know that God expects us to trust in Him because of His providence, because of what He has done, but He also expects us to trust in Him because of His Word. Not only do, do these disciples see the empty tomb and God's providence, what God has been doing, but they also receive His Word. And it's not just signs that God has revealed as what has happened. Matthew doesn't just record the signs, the earthquake, the stone rolled away, the appearance of the angel, the appearance of Jesus, and all these spectacular signs. It isn't just signs that God reveals what has happened, but God tells us what has happened by means of his word as well. And God is building the faith of his disciples by the means of signs and his word for the significant task at hand. Jesus is continuing to lay the groundwork to establish strong faith and courage in his disciples. They will need to tell the story of the resurrection. And the way in which God tells us the story of his resurrection is this. And listen, by the way, this is how God operates in every realm of truth. First, God predicts 
prophesies. He says, this will be done. Secondly, then he does it. And he does it thoroughly. He does it completely. He does it absolutely. He does it sovereignly. And he does it graciously. He does what he said he would do. Listen, then he even then explains what he just did. So he says what he's going to do, then he does it fully and completely, and then he explains what he just did. And then he reviews it all. And there are three times in the book of Matthew that Matthew uses the word for worship. In Matthew 2, when the Magi, the kings come from the east, they come to the, to the bedside, the the crib of Jesus, and they worship him in Matthew 2. And in Matthew 28, this final chapter, there are two times when we find Jesus being worshipped, the word worship being used. Here, when the women come and they worship at his feet. And in verse number 17, when Jesus meets the disciples in Galilee and they saw him and they worshipped him. You don't find joy to motivate worship if you're in a cemetery unless the stone has been rolled away. If you have if you come here to Providence or in your moments when when God is engaging you and you're encountering God and you are not responding in joy and fear if when you're singing and you're fellowshipping with the body here in Providence and your heart is not full of joy or moved to joy, okay, that settled rest that God has done everything for your salvation by testimony of the rolled away stone, then you still remain dead and you live in the realm of death. Because joy motivates the worship when we're in the cemetery that has the stone rolled away. This is the theme, this is the spirit of God's people when they worship him. So Jesus is worshipped by Mary and Mary. He is worshipped by the disciples And then Jesus says, I just want everybody to start worshiping me. So go and make disciples of all nations. Because I want to gather them at my feet too. That they might know the joy of worshiping a risen Savior. Let's pray.